I'm Karen Bickford, and this is my Q-List. Q-List, brought to you by Same Same But Black, a collection of queer conversations released during Auckland Pride 2022, supported by the Sparks Empowerment Fund. Welcome to Q-List 2022. I'm your host, Michelle, from Same Same But Black. Kyra, give us your introduction and tell us something about yourself. Tēnā koe, ko ngongotaha te maunga, ko te suhina te awa, ko te rotorua nui a kahumata mamoe, te rotomoana, ko tarawa te waka, ko Ngāti Whakaue te iwi, ko Tono Hōpu te whare, ko Heria Makai, rawa ko William Beckford Oku Matua, anā ko Kara Ahau, he uri tēnei nō Tarawa, nō Jamaica hoki, nō Ireland, nō England, anō. Ai, tēnei te mihi kauana ki a koe, Mish, ki a koutou katoa. My name's Kara. Yeah, my ancestors are from all over the show, from the Bay of Pliny, specifically Rotorua and Makitu, where the Tarawa waka landed. They are from Jamaica, via West Africa in the continent, the motherland, and they are also from Europe, most notably, well, the, the, the ancestors that I connect for, f- with mostly are from Ireland. And uh, yeah, so that's me, I'm, I'm just me, I'm a whole bag of mixed goodies. Yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation with you today, Kia ora, Was it difficult for you to make your choices and tell us about your first song choice, Nina Simone, for women. Um, was it difficult? No, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't super difficult because I think I've um, probably turned to music and literature and those things like many of us to make sense of my life and my experience and myself um, as I was growing up. So it's pretty easy to kind of remember the really pivotal um, works, I guess that I really connected with. Um, The the song for women from Nina Simone. Nina Simone is probably one of my all-time favorite artists. Um, She's an icon. What I love about the song is, um, I think how it talks, I mean, it doesn't even talk in detail, but it talks a little bit to the nuances about what it is to be a black woman or a, a black person having a femme experience in the world. And I feel like often it can feel like we're put into a category and limited by how we're seen and how we're represented. You know, we get, we're one thing or we we have to be strong or we have to be fierce or we have to give advice, um, you know, and there's all these tropes as well along with that. And I think what I love about the song is that it talks about our our uniqueness within that group, but it also puts us all together and connects us all. And that's what I really like. Like, I don't think that, you know, if I'm me being mixed as well and being both Māori and and Black, um, I think there can be these, like, these wedges that are created across us as Black women of, like, hierarchies that are imposed on us by, you know, a Pākehā system, which says, you know, if you're brown skin, if your hair's a certain way, you can do this and you can be this or you're this kind of beautiful, whatever. Um, and if you're black and if your hair's a certain texture, then, you know, you're confined to this sort of 
role or this place in society. And I just feel like the song kind of speaks to that at the same time as not really buying into it. Like, you know, and like of also linking our us together in our experience through Papa, you know, who we are as black people, our ancestry, you know, like our rhythm, our spirituality, you know, but also not shying away from that difference. And I, I'm really into that, you know, as yeah, my, in, my, in my experience in the world. So, and I just love her. Like, she's just so, she's just ethereal. Like, it's almost, to me, Nina Simone's like, almost like a messenger rather than just, you know, just a singer. She kind of receives these messages and then puts them out there for us to kind of pick up. And I find her, the way she does that, really healing you know, and she holds a mirror up and she's like, this is what we are, as grotesque, as beautiful. Like, it's not all just one. This is what we are and who we are. And, like, that's all good. That's okay. I love that tune. That's a bad tune. So speak to us how you chose this next item, Little Nas X, X Maestro. How do you think it sits in our current timeline? Um, I think it's, like, one of those things. Like, I'm, I'm 34. Like, so I feel like I'm slightly just out of this, like... Um, generation like where Lil Nas X is like you know at the center of like this kind of rec reclamation of black queer whatever in pop culture but I just and I'm like I don't even really like dig necessarily the music per se but like what it represents and like what he represents and how creative he he is I just think it's so rad so like I I, I came to choose it because I was thinking of that thing where like a lot of times as you get older, you think, you know, all the shit and you think like, you know, we kind of look up to our elders and we kind of, we know that we look up and we, we can understand a lot of things and we look to them. But I think the value for me is looking to the ones that are coming up and looking at what, what they're doing and how they're talking about shit, how they're talking about identity and how unapologetic they are. Like a little Nas X is so unapologetic. Unlike, you know, it's not like actually that, you know, um, other, like, say, a white, a white, cis, straight man isn't unapologetic, you know, if he's a rapper or whatever, whatnot, like, like an Eminem type, type of character that I grew up with, they can do whatever the fuck they want, say whatever the fuck they want. But when you're a black man, and you're a gay man, and you're, and you're like, that's your power, and you're putting that out there at the forefront of your art in popular culture, I just think that's so rad. And like within the community, like being of the black community, that is a conversation that just really needs to be had, really needs to be made fun of, really needs to be played with, taken seriously, like pulled apart. And he's just doing that so creatively and so unapologetic that I'm just like, I'm here for it, you know, like I'm just here for it. Masculinity and and blackness, you know, like, I mean, I have these conversations with my, with my own dad about masculinity and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I won't get into that, but it's just, it's such a thing that a lot of men and a lot of black men in particular hold onto, to, you know, claim their worth or their value in the world, you know, that this is how you be a man. And this is what was taken from us because of this, that, and the third, because of racism and whatnot. And someone like little nas x is just especially with that video is just like no that's not what it is that's not my word that's not my value i can mix it up i can do whatever i want I can dance on a pole and i'm still a man and i'm still masculine and it's it relates to femininity and it's not you know it's not a dichotomy it's like it can mix in and out as you please and i'm just yeah i'm just here for it like i'm here for the future and i'm like here for the kids 
doing it and stepping back and just appreciating and learning from them. Understanding that and talking about that and expressing that, my way of doing that was to go to university and like learn all the language and all the, you know, the theory. And that takes a lot from you as well when you have to kind of only use their tools and their um, knowledge system to make sense of yourself. But someone like Little Nas X, who's just like using pure creativity and pure unapologetic black gay whatever. I don't know. That's just so much more straightforward. You know what I mean? Like, it's just straight to the point. It is what it is. And I love that. I love that. I want that for myself, you know. What memories do you have that relate to particular songs that you've chosen? You know, the Nikki Giovanni track, the Nikki Giovanni poem, Ego Tripping. I remember, like, riding around on my bike in Mount Eden when we lived in the city and, like, listening to that tune and listening to the words of it and just feeling the sense of, like, connection to and this inherent pride about who I was. And I think that like black pride in particular is such a like powerful, powerful vibration, you know, like, and it, and it, it doesn't just stop for me at like my, my pride in myself as a black, you know, person or a person of um, African descent, but it like stretches out. Like my pride as a black person means I can be proud as a queer person. And I also can be proud as a Maori person, as a woman. And so when I listen to that song, it just is like my body changes, you know, like my, my head, my chin raises, you know, like my, my chest comes out. And I think about myself in those lyrics, you know, when she's talking about, she's like metamorphosizing into all these different like animals and entities across the continent. And this like, there's something in that kind of energy that I really, I really love. And I remember, yeah, just multiple times listening to it, and especially on the bike, because I feel like on my bike, I've always felt really free. <laughs> you know, the wind's in your hair and you're like, just like, and but listening to that track and just feeling like I'm a gazelle, you know, like, it's just, it's just, it's another bad tune. And yeah, Ego Tripping is one of my favorite in that way. And it's kind of just so rec reclamative, you know, it's like, all the history we think about religion, we think about like, yeah, yeah, Eurocentric versions of history and stuff. And, and she's kind of just like going through that and being like, uh-uh, this is what it was. I was Jesus. I was a gazelle. I was, you know, like everything all at once is black. The history of the world is black. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still, even when I talk about it, I, my body still wakes up in that same way. Kyra, we're just move, moving out of your songs towards your chosen books. So just t talk to us in your selection and um, reflect on why you chose the colour purple. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think like the colour purple was never that for me. And, and I think I was so young when I read it that I was kind of naive to the to the queer part of it. It's like, I, I mean, I guess I didn't maybe at that time in my life, I probably naturalised fluidity in that bit more than when you get older and you get, oh, no, this is actually lesbian and this is, you know, so... It was never really that for me. I think what I really was drawn to about The Colour Purple and why it came to my mind, well, I think it came first, it's at the top of my list anyway, is because I think there's a really interesting conversation there about how within our own community um, there are, like, forces of oppression at play, wherever they come from, and we kind of know where those come from and then become manifested into, you know, people's bodies. And I'm talking particularly about um black men's or black cis, cis straight men's kind of um oppression of of 
black womanhood at points like i'm not saying that that's like a gen you know like that that's happening all the time but that was something that i was really interested in um and that really came through for me strongly in that book um and i think it was interesting to me and it pulls me in not necessarily because i want to be like oh black men are bad or you know like it's not about like separating us it's more like having a more deeper conversation about how does all the stuff we talk about out there around racism and shit, how does that show up in our bodies? How does that show up in how we treat one another in interpersonal relationships and family? You know, and thinking about my own um, family experience, particularly of um, violence. And, you know, and I have strong, you know, like I couldn't express to you how much I love the people in my family who have enacted that violence on me on the other on the other women in my family so it's not about good or bad it's just about yeah like looking at how the shit that we talk about really ends up inside of us and in our bodies and i have love for the you know those characters in the book that that you know oppress um the women in the in the book and books book and stuff like that but yeah, I was just always kind of drawn to that as like a conversation, like, oh, this is something that's really important. And I feel like Alice Walker got a lot of shit for that, for separating us, you know, and, and talking shit about black men and all that. But I think that's a conversation that needed to happen and still needs to happen, especially if you put into the mix stuff around being queer and, you know, how we oppress our, ourselves and how we need to decolonize some of our views about uh, femininity, masculinity, gender, sexuality, and whatnot, you know? So that was kind of really my in with that book, with that story, yeah. You know, like I think with The Colour Purple in particular, like we're talking to communities that might be engaging with this list who aren't necessarily black or who don't necessarily have, you know, that cultural kind of, those cultural cues or access to something as obvious to us as The Colour Purple, but who might, get a lot from it do you know what I mean so when I was putting this list together it wasn't just about what's my you know most influential whatever it was also thinking about who's receiving it which is maybe that's something to do with being an academic or something or just thinking about other people how other people what other people might need or want as well not just what I wanted to put out there do you know what I mean choosing another book from your list which was mm. Wahini Toe can you tell us why you've chosen this book and why it's a must read i chose it because it's one of my i'd say my most influential books or texts or not even because i re read it when i was really young because my auntie is um robin kokiwa and she's the one who provided artwork for it so i don't even know if i really read it as a young person more that it became like kind of symbolic to me of you know everyone uses the word reclamation i'm trying to think of a better word but or there are women atua, or there are, you know, there's femininity or fem femhood, I should say, is um, a really important part of our indigenous um, kind of way of being and history and knowledge here in Aotearoa. Where I think where I was growing up, you learned a lot about the, and this is a kind of, the, the, re the reason why I'm hesitating and even saying this male or man or woman gods, because I think even that is a, um, is not quite right but anyway the way it was presented to us when we were young with a lot of emphasis on the gods who were said to be men um and there wasn't a you know i could name a couple and those ones 
of women, Atua, who were said to be women, and those ones were always like, there was always these negative or kind of like skewed, like, story around them that made them scary or like <laughs> kind of like witches or kind of like evil so wahine toa for me was like a real um a real concept of like reimagining what our indigenous framework actually looked like with the balance between femininity and masculinity whether or not you say male or female gods or whatever don't really love that language but um yeah, it was like a reclamation. I mean, just even realizing that, oh, shit, there's all these Atua out there who are said to be women or have that kind of emphasis in, in femhood. Um, and I didn't know about them growing up. Um, or I didn't get taught about them in school. And I think it's, I guess it's like, it talks a lot to how that part of history is often like put in the back seat and we emphasize what men do and we emphasize you know who's important um in that way and de-emphasize the importance of of women and the importance of um femininity or femhood or however you conceptualize that i just think this book is important for just anybody who lives in aotearoa to understand the context in which they live and i mean a context that goes way past the imposition of colonial rule here what are some of the ideas and the philosophies and the theories that were living here before all of this stuff? Because we, we, we talk a lot about colonization. We talk about a lot about racism. This doesn't really, I mean, it talks about it invertedly, but it doesn't talk about that sort of shit because it's not, that's not the context it's coming from. It's coming from a context of this is us, this is who we are. We're not explaining ourselves against anything like that. So, and I think that more people who live in Aotearoa called, call Aotearoa their home should engage with that stuff, not just the politics of colonization, but like the knowledge and the philosophies and the theories that exist here that we can all use to um, navigate <laughs> this you know, this this changing world. They just think it's really potent, like what indigenous knowledge has and histories and stories have in it and give us to make sense of ourselves right here and now. And it's just a beautiful book, you know. I love and I'm biased because that's my auntie, but, uh, you know, I would... And she was at the forefront of, like, kind of this um, renaissance of Māori cultural identity. And, yeah, if I'm honest, even her paintings, even though if you look her up, you know, she doesn't look anything like me, but her paintings were some of the first that actually showed a kind of, like, a brown or dark skin, wide nose, full lip, Māori figure in, in, in her paintings and, and that in itself was, was, was really amazing to see because especially for me as a black Māori, there was so much emphasis on Māori who were fair or, you know, like you were good looking if you had green eyes and your hair was straight. Basically, the more Pākehā you looked, that was more acceptable than if you looked, and I don't want to say one is more Māori than the other or anything, but yeah, if you look less mixed, let's say. Or if you look darker, or if you, you know, had bushy hair, or you know, there were so many negative things people used to say about that, those kind of looks. And she used those looks and made them, I mean, they are stunning, but showed them in their beauty. And I think that will really um, translate to other people with other cultures as well. Yeah. So that's why I chose the book, That Big Spiel. <laughs> How important are these conversations? How important is this list? It's hard to quantify, you know, like, course it's important it's um important that our the things we're drawn to the things that make sense to us 
um, the things that help and bring us joy are, you know, publicized or put out there, put on pedestals, um, showcase, because I think, I mean, for me, the most significant part of that is that more people then can have access to um, more of those things because, you know, like if there's a book or a song or something that I've used to kind of navigate within my identity in my life, like I'd want that to be a possibility, you know, that someone who's younger than me or, you know, from a different town who might not have known that that existed because that's how I came across you know, books and um, pieces of art. Like, at least I stumbled across them. It was like, it had to be there in a point of time that you could grab it, right? Like, you couldn't just, and maybe you can manifest it too, but you it's you need it to be visible for you to be able to um, receive it. So I think visibility is really, um, I guess, kind of a, yeah, a main thing for me around how important it is to have this list, is that these stories are invisible, these knowledges are, inv are visible, um, you know these people these artists um and that yeah like that yeah that that's accessible and i think the more it's accessible the more weight gets given to our stories and our knowledge systems um hopes and dreams. i think my hopes and dreams for the community are the same as my hopes and dreams for myself or my family is just wellness and that joy and um, pride and sense of belonging is, you know, um, promoted among us and that we can feel like we make sense and we make sense anywhere we go. We don't just make sense in our community. Uh, you know, like I don't just make sense in my um, British Jamaican community or my family. Like I make sense everywhere I go. In that, in that context, I make sense even in my difference and that's okay. It's okay that I'm not the same as everyone in my community. And when I move on to my other communities, it's okay that I'm not the same. But just to have that sense of feeling like you have a place and an inherent right to be, that's my hope for myself. That's my hope for the community. And I think um, art and, I mean, literature is art to me as well, but, um, you know, music and that, I think, offers that to us. It reminds us, and I don't even necessarily think like that the lessons or the the tools that we get out of this stuff um, is that are like novel. I think it activates something in us that we already know that have been given to us or passed down, you know, from from generations upon generations, and it would just kind of revives it, and we're like, shit, yeah, I know who I am, even if in that moment. And I think if we have more and more of those moments. <laughs> Yeah, then I'll be happy, you know. I mean, there's a lot I could say, but I'll just kind of land on that. Thank you very much, Kyra, for taking the time for having this conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Q-List. Q-List can be found on www.samesamebutblack.co.nz, IG, Facebook, and all other social media platforms. 